Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, and today's episode is brought to you and powered by Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Please visit collectorsworldva.com for more information about the fabulous event coming Saturday, February 6, 2016, from noon to 1.30 p.m. You can meet live and in living color a true two-man power trip of wrestling guy. You might know him as Mordecai, but you also know him as Kevin Thorne. And he will be joined alongside an ECW original and ECW heavyweight champion, the franchise Shane Douglas. Get all the information that you need over at CollectorsWorldVA.com. And more to come about that a little bit later on in the show. But first, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Prime. Prime time, John Paz and John. I am so stoked about this episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling as we are joined by the creative force behind the amazing wrestling documentary Beyond the Mat. We are joined by Hollywood filmmaker, writer, director extraordinaire Barry Blaustein. And what a true honor it was to speak with Barry Blaustein because it's easy for me to dial it back and think about a high school Chad and thinking about this documentary that was about to blow my mind called Beyond the Mat that was going to change the friggin' game on how professional wrestling was viewed to the outside world and was going to give the professional wrestling fans and the audience an inside look at things we had never seen before. How does a dark match process go? How does WWE operate in their offices? How does a veteran who's long lost from his you know, big-time superstardom. How do they handle not being in the limelight anymore? How do the rookies come through the training system? It was something that we never, ever saw up to 2000, you know, where the big boom of all the inside documentaries came. And this 
being filmed over a couple year period, starting in 1997 and being completed in 1999, and the conclusion being so memorable at the 1999 Royal Rumble, which we will definitely get into uh, in in just a few minutes. But John, you think about what it actually did, and it really spawned the wrestling filmmaking genre, the documentary genre, outside of just a WWF-produced video, or maybe you you think a little bit earlier, maybe a Wrestling with Shadows, which was just a focus on Bret the Hitman Hart, or you think about a kayfabe movie like I Like to Hurt People that gave you some outside-the-ring access, but nothing to the extent of Beyond the Map, but that genre being spawned, the wrestling filmmakers to this day, they've been on the show, they've all started to really come out of the woodwork, but John, what do you think about looking back on Beyond the Mat and how it really just blossomed this wrestling filmmaking boom that is continuing to get bigger and bigger with every passing month? Well, 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 Chatty Boy, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and this was a, a very, very fun episode we had today with the man behind Beyond the Mat, one of the most memorable wrestling documentaries ever made, and you know, definitely have to say this, one of the best wrestling documentaries ever made. And like you said, looking back at Beyond the Mat, and it definitely spawned a generation of wrestling filmmakers, and it definitely spawned more wrestling documentaries. I mean, there were some Obviously, there were some before that, and they were a little bit shorter in, in length, and not so much a great, you know, feature documentary like this one with such great access. And you think about all the great documentaries that came out after it, and all the documentaries that are still coming out now. Even WWE is producing some great ones, like the Owen Hart one that just came out. I would definitely highly recommend that one. That one was great. And then even got Ring of Honor producing their own ones with uh, one that I would highly recommend that just came out with Steve Carino. So even the big dogs, even the big leagues are doing it. And obviously TNA a couple of years ago had a very extensive one with the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. I mean, there's just so many of them and so many great wrestlers and so many great, you know, guys that you can do a documentary on and just make it so good. And Beyond the Mat is so great because it's not just one guy, it's many guys that they're doing the documentary on. And you're following the ups, the downs, the guys beginning the career, the guys ending their career behind the scenes of WWF. And we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. But just you know, have to say that first and foremost, Beyond the Mat spawned what we now know as the great wrestling filmmakers and the great wrestling documentarians all starts with Barry Blaustein and it all starts with Beyond the Mat. Oh yeah, it totally starts there and you can use the old adage of often imitated but never duplicated and it really, you know, Barry Blaustein himself, I mean, he's got such a storied history in Hollywood and he's made some great films with Eddie Murphy and that goes back to their relationship at Saturday Night Live in the early 80s which to be quite honest with you, I mean, as much as I love Beyond the Mat and 95.5% of this interview was about Beyond the Mat, I would love to have talked to him about a lot of the stuff that he did in his career as a writer and as a director. Well, still, as a, I don't want to say he's retired. He keeps doing what he's doing. But I'm just saying, you know, the work he did with Eddie Murphy, you know, you got some really memorable movies like the Nutty Professor remake. I mean, come on. Who hasn't watched that and just, you know, fallen over laughing? It's just one of those movies just, just there's so many things in that movie that just get you every time and it goes back to his relationship with Eddie. 
at Saturday Night Live. So when he turns his attention to pro wrestling, he really can give it his all because he's been down the roads of creativity and he knew exactly what he wanted to make. He didn't have to really compromise any of his integrity as a filmmaker for the fact that he was going to make a puff piece, which he does reference that Vince McMahon kind of wanted to give him a little bit of a backing, uh, you know, money uh grab here saying hey man we'll give you this we'll triple your budget if you give us a a great you know highlight here for the wwf and he said i don't want to make this a a puff piece i just want to do what's right and i want to use this vision that i have and you think about how impactful that was and you could go through scene after scene after scene and think about something that really stands out but john you know, I, I want to use the word impactful, very key here. When you think about Beyond the Mat, now I have my thing and I'll say it after yours, but when you think about Beyond the Mat, what would you say the most impactful moment or the most impactful scene or the most impactful part of Beyond the Mat is when you think about it in retrospect? Yeah, like I kind of alluded to a little bit and what you were just saying, you know, the most intriguing or impactful part of the beyond the mat documentary and there's so many great parts i mean the ecw stuff them getting the first pay-per-view paul Heyman doing that great speech at the ecw arena before barely legal in 1997 then you got the terry funk stuff the dennis stamp i'm not book stuff which was just hilarious because Barry, when you get talking, listen to the interview and we're talking to him, he wasn't even aware that I'm Not Book became such a, a meme out there and became such a popular thing on the internet and how funny it became. But, you know, obviously spawned from Beyond the Mad and Terry Funk and, and that scene with Dennis Stamp. But, you know, you had the Mick Foley stuff. Uh, obviously, his daughter crying, you know, hysterically with The Rock beating him over the head with the chair getting the whole look at the Foley family so many impactful and intriguing stuff I mean it's just one of those document uh, documentaries that are out there that if you've never seen it you gotta go out there and see it's a must see but to me the most intriguing or impactful part was definitely Jake the Snake Roberts and that was obviously him at his low point and now speaking of documentaries the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts is out and that's him at his high point him working down there with DDP Diamond Dallas Page doing his DDP yoga so it's great kind of seeing that film which was basically finished in 1999 and the Jake the Snake Roberts DVD that came out last year in 2015 and you see the total change around that Jake has had and thank God he's had it you know he's had that turnaround because quite frankly met him a couple weeks ago he looked fantastic and we met him you know over the summer and we had him on for an interview and we were talking to him but he even looked better a couple weeks ago when I saw him I told him I said you look 20 years younger than you did when you're in beyond the mat which is crazy because that's about 16 years ago so just the the resurrection of him and his career is great but at that point during beyond the mat he was so fascinating because you get behind the scenes with his daughter you learn all about his father a legendary wrestler in his own right uh, Grizzly Smith so it's just crazy to see how his life was and the downs and the drug addiction and everything else that went with it but it was so intriguing because that's Jake the Snake Roberts and you're always wondering why he was so dark and devious and you look into his eyes and you were definitely fearful he was a quiet soft-spoken guy but there was something about him 
you know the trust me stuff and all that stuff it's so powerful from jake the snake and barry really really encapsulated that just absolutely beautifully because that was to me one of the best parts of the film and then the whole film is amazing and and Barry did a wonderful job with it, and it was great to finally get to talk to him about Beyond the Map. But if I got to pick one part that I found, you know, my favorite or the most intriguing, got to say, was Jake the Snake Roberts. Definitely cannot kill you on that one. That was an absolutely fascinating look. And really the first time we got to see that darker side of Jake the Snake Roberts. And that was really the kind of craziness. You know, you remember that Legends of Wrestling pay-per-view in 1999. And we remember Jake really not being in the best of shape. And if you think about his WWF run right before he had kind of faded out of the uh, the old spotlight there. You know, they were kind of playing off his past of uh, having some addiction issues and with kind of in poor taste, which is crazy. That's uh, not like Vince McMahon to do something in poor taste like that, exploit somebody's issues. But another story for another day. But with Jake, we never saw that really dark side, and we learned such a crazy story behind his family. And that was very intriguing and quite impactful. But I got to say, personally, what I loved was that behind-the-scenes look of Titan Tower. And being able to get into Titan Tower like I have been, it was so cool that when I went in there the first time, I was hitting all my spots, being like, oh, my God, I remember that from Beyond the Mat. Oh, my God, I remember that from Beyond the Mat. You really get to take a look at the office that has built so much for sports entertainment, professional wrestling, whichever you want to call it in reference to the WWF or WWE. But I just love the fact that we were able to open up that door to Vince McMahon's office, sit in there and watch the whole entire process of Darren Drozdoff, a.k.a. Droz, being brought in and showing the boss what it is he can do. And that is an absolutely fascinating story about who could have been in the Droz spot if somebody had decided he was a little bit more comfortable on camera, but I'm going to let Barry tell that story. And, you know, as a fan at that point, you, you just couldn't get any bigger than what the WWF was doing. And it was so much fun to watch it week in and week out. And you think in 1999, when Barry's doing this, that he maybe w would have lost some kind of interest in the product, but you know what? I got to say, in, in the fact that you're talking to Barry and you're finding out a little bit more about him and you actually were able to find out that after all we've seen and what he did in the documentary, that he still to this day is a huge fan of the WWE. You know, very, very interesting with Barry talking to him and finding out after all, you know, that we've seen from the doc and all the stuff that we talked to him about Vince McMahon, getting the great, unbelievable access that he was able to get with the WWF at that point, and how that whole deal went about, and how Vince wanted to pull out. And you're learning all this stuff, and you, you, you watch a doc, and you just sit there and think, it's like, Barry, you can't still be a wrestling fan, can you? Do you still watch? And it was very interesting to find out he's still a fan to this day, and um, it was definitely interesting to talk to him off air about it too because we were kind of joking around about do you still watch raw but you know we're saying you got to have it on the dvr it's too long should it be three hours and we were kind of just going into what what the good parts of uh, the wrestling business are now what the bad parts are what are the pitfalls and stuff like that and it was just so intriguing to me to find out that he's still a big fan it was just a 
great to hear and you know we love that we're two uh you know quote-unquote marks here to chat and we just love the wrestling business so it's good to see that barry is a you know quote-unquote mark himself and i was definitely surprised to hear that he was still a wrestling fan and another great thing that we were able to do you know off air we were talking briefly and he kind of flipped the script a little bit on on me and he said you know, he's like, I listened to the show. I really enjoyed the Tito Santana. I was really a big fan of Tito. He's like, but who were uh, some of the other guys that you interviewed, and who was your favorite, and who was your least favorite? And I don't want, really want to get into the least favorite. Uh, maybe uh, privately, if somebody asks me, I'll tell them. I don't really want to go into too much on the air here. But there was definitely uh, one person in particular that I uh, had mentioned to him, and he agreed, and he was laughing about it, and he was saying um, the change that that person has made over the years has not been a good one and so on and so forth, but then we came upon the favorites, and that was the first name that came to mind, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and I just told, you know, my brief little story about my little history with Dusty, which is very small and, and very minuscule, but the true power of Dusty, he made it feel like it was much more, and it was just such an honor to have him on, you know, his final uh, interview ever was here with us, and like I've said before, it's definitely bittersweet, but something I'll never forget, and I'm definitely going to cherish, and, and it's such an honor to do that. But then Barry went, you know, above and beyond with his story of Dusty, which he does get into in the interview, and we were laughing about it and saying that Dusty kind of had the same impression on him, and Dusty was unbelievable, emceed a birthday party for him, and he'll get into that story even further, which is just amazing. So that was awesome to talk to about him uh, off air as well. So that was some good stuff. And I liked the interview, you know, not just for the fact that Barry's a huge name in Hollywood, not just for the fact that, you know, he's been a part of Police Academy and Nutty Professor and Saturday Night Live and all these major, major motion pictures and obvious and, uh, TV shows and everything else. And, of course, beyond the map. But besides all that, it was so great and so fun to have him on because he was just uh, down to earth true blue old school wrestling fan and we just in the heart of the show that's what we absolutely love the most you know wrestling fans talking about wrestling and you know learning a lot about some of the guys that we enjoyed and some of the guys that we absolutely cherished and it was great to talk to Barry about not only all of that but get a backstage view at Vince McMahon, Jake the Snake Roberts, Terry Funk, all the above, all the guys you can see in Beyond the Mat but uh, you know I'm going to start um, excuse me, I'm going to stop uh, blathering on here about Barry and let you enjoy the interview because it was, what a treat it was. And it's just awesome to get to uh, get on a big Hollywood, you know, uh, writer, director, producer like Barry Blaustein. Totally one off the checklist, without a doubt. It was so much fun to talk to Barry. And let's not also forget his really cool and unique relationship with Jesse the Body Ventura. And Jesse was briefly featured in Beyond the Mad. And you cannot forget the fact that when we had Jesse on, we were able to get him back to his basics and talk to him about wrestling. So when you really can hit somebody where they want to just get in that mood to talk, and you, we caught Barry on a, on a great night we were just having so much fun talking about Beyond the Matters. The same goes for Jesse. When we had Jesse on, when you just get him talking about something he wants to talk about, it just is all gravy from there. And we really hope everybody enjoys this. This is so much fun. And you know what? Do what I did while we were talking to Barry. I had Beyond the Mat on in the background. And it was almost basically hitting our spots as I was watching the movie. And we were talking about the things basically almost in sync. And it was kind of cool to kind of do that. So, hey, either watch it. 
uh, in the background while you're listening to us or watch it afterwards or do whatever you got to do, but enjoy this interview. And if you're in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., Southern Maryland area on Saturday, February 6th, come on over to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit collectorsworldva.com for more information on the huge event with the franchise Shane Douglas and our man Kevin Thorne live and in living color, signing autographs, taking pictures, doing the deal, getting out there, shaking hands, and let's have a lot of fun. The two-man power trip of wrestling will be in attendance, and we are looking for massive amounts of people to join the Bite Club. And when you do that, you're going gonna to get just an autograph from Kevin Thorne, not just an autograph from Shane Douglas. You're going to get a high five from myself or John. So you definitely want to add that to your calendar. It's Saturday, February 6, 2016, from noon to 1.30 p.m., Collector's World, VA.com, for more information on that great event. And, John, before you throw it to a little two-man power trip of wrestling business, we want to just also thank our good old friends at Player FM and all of our Android listeners because if you're going to listen to us on an Android device, you're going to do it on Player FM. They are so cool, and they are so good to us. And look for something really sweet from Player FM in regards to the two-man power trip of wrestling coming very, very soon. So, John, with that being said, let's get it over to Barry Blaustein. But before you do that... Hit him with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them everything there is to know about us. And then throw it to the man known as Barry Blaustein. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there. Please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan the Larry Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan, Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and while you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts 
and you too can be a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, the legendary writer and director, the man behind Beyond the Mat, Barry Blaustein. Please enjoy. Well, then my pleasure. I haven't talked about wrestling in a long time. It was a period where I, I, I talked about it so much, my wife and kids were going, shut up. <laughs> Even I'd be embarrassed how much I was talking about it. Well, that's John and myself right now. So our the, our wife and our children are tired of it as well. So, uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Well, here we. Well, let's get rolling here. And tonight we are honored and quite awestruck by our guest. His screenwriting credentials include such films as Boomerang, Police Academy Two, The Nutty Professor, Coming to America, and not to mention writing on a little show called Saturday Night Live. As a director, he brought to life motion pictures like The Ringer and Peep World. But then there's this wrestling documentary that Barry Blaustein made that opened up a whole new world for wrestling fans and gave us access to many things that at that time we had never seen before. It was the movie Vince McMahon didn't want us to see, and it introduced us to the fourth face of Foley. Beyond the Mat holds its place in history. And with that being said, Barry Blaustein, thank you for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, I'm not going to talk anymore because I can't follow that intro, so... <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I've been practicing that intro all day I've been saying it in my car a thousand times But like I said, it's an honor to have you on the show And uh, it's, it's uh, just nice great to, to be, talk to you nice this to evening Nice to talk of to you Of course, and you know, Beyond the Mat's going to be heavily discussed Because the first thing that I could possibly say to you is Do you realize what you started when Beyond the Mat came out? It changed everything about professional wrestling well, I, I, I do find it funny when I was listening to your intro. It's stuff they didn't want you to see. And then while I was make, after the movie, they showed everything much further than I would go in showing stuff. So uh, I don't know if what I brought is a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, I did it. So Now, with Beyond the Mat, the one key line that was, you know, big for, for a while in, like, promoting it is, you know, further proving that wrestling isn't fake. You think with Beyond the Mat, you proved that you know the "quote unquote" fake wrestling business isn't so fake after all? Yeah, I think so. You know, people go, "Well, it's fake," and I go, "Well, it's predetermined." And I think most of the fans know that. There's a suspension of disbelief. Like people, I think wrestling fans are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. I go to watch an action movie, a James Bond movie, and I know a car can't fly off a building and someone survive, but I suspend my belief so I can enjoy it. I know that a lot of what I'm seeing is planned and predetermined everything, but I think people are shocked how much these guys get hurt and also the psychological implications of pretending to be somebody you're not and sometimes becoming that person. Absolutely, and it's funny because, you know, people always say to me, like, oh, God, you have an interview show about wrestling. Um like, come on, it's fake. I'm like, everything on TV is fake. And they're like, well, not reality TV. I'm like, well, yeah, it is. That they set up, you know, they That's set totally up certain fake. things. <laughs> so I'm like, well, everything on TV is fake. So, you know, do you think that some of these, you know, wrestlers and wrestling is more real than, you know, than, than this other fake stuff that is considered reality out there? Wrestling is this weird hybrid of uh, entertainment and athleticism, which is why I really like it. 
I mean, I still watch it, still watch it avidly. And, you know, most of the time I uh, I can't believe I'm watching it. I can't believe I like it. But then there's that 10% where I go, I can't believe everyone doesn't see what I see in this. <laughs> you know, I was watching the other Raw the other day, the other week. I go and Vince came to confront, um, I forgot who he was confronting, Roman Reigns. Yep. And I, you know, he was at a jaunt, and I go, this is great, and he's such a great hammy performer. I'm going, how does not, how do people not love this? <laughs> Vince I is not everybody. great. There are plenty of people who love it. But not as many as there used to be, apparently, uh, with, uh, you know, raw ratings going down, down, down. Well, I think that's a subject of, um, first of all, I think they've lost a lot of people to, to uh, the network. People feel it's not that important to watch Raw. The ratings of every TV show has gone down and down and down because because uh, internet, video games, all different sorts of communication things. So I, I don't I don't know if their wrestling's wrestling rings have gone down more proportionally than any other TV show proportionally. That is a good point. Maybe people's viewing habits on the DVR because uh, I know I usually DVR Raw. Cause, you know, you, you got to yeah. watch it on fast forward. Yeah, who has three hours to sit and watch something? You just go through the main parts that you want to watch. TV viewing's changed, you know, radically. I know when I started on Saturday Night Live, a rating that we had, if we had the ratings they had now, we would have been canceled. They have now. We would have been canceled. Just the ratings, you can't judge them on what they were 10 years ago because viewing habits change and the different media that you're available to people to watch and distractions are so much more. I mean, when I grew when I grew up, this is dating myself, but there were seven channels. I grew up in pre cable. It is now crazy. Six, and, now uh, now there's six thousand, and like Bruce Springsteen says, and still nothing on. <laughs> that is that could be true. And then of course, you know, then then you're going up against Netflix, and you're going up against Hulu, and sure. Amazon Prime, and you're going up, and you're going up against the network too. That's true. Streaming has become, you know, kind of the, like what cable TV was, streaming has kind of become that now where it, where it's almost taking over. Yeah, sure. It's just a different, that's why when people go, the rings are down, the rings are down, the rings are down. The rings are down for everything. Definitely true. You, you made some good points there, but if I could go back to Beyond the Map, because we were talking about Vince sure. and what a crazy character he is, even today, where he actually popped the rating a few times when he showed on the on TV, which shows you people are definitely interested in Vince. And you got unprecedented access, not only to WWF, but to Vince himself. How did that go, and what was Vince like behind the scenes? Vince was like he was in the movie. I mean, uh, Vince was... He's fascinating. He's a fascinating person, incredibly bright, incredibly intelligent. Um... But you know, like uh, he was, he was, um, hesitant to be open at certain times. You know, uh, we had to gain each other's trust, in which I think, I think we did. And I could see there was a there was a part. I remember we were done shooting; the cameras were away, and we were shooting in Sacramento, and it was after a raw taping. And Vince came back, and he had just been. It was just when he was starting to fight his feud with Steve Austin. And he'd gotten beaten up and, you know, a little battered. 
and they're taking down the ring, and he's drinking a beer, and he's wearing a sweatshirt, and he goes, I love this business. And that's the Vince I wanted to try to, to uh, I said, and I said, Vince, that's what I want to capture on camera, because he does love this business. He has an incredible passion for it. So I think Vince is great. You know, this this whole, and when the movie came out, he did, right before the movie came out, Vince called me a couple months before. He said, this is nothing personal. I like you. But I want to do everything to stop, make, to get from this movie being seen, simply because he wanted a piece of the movie, and Universal wanted to give him a piece of the movie. He hated the fact that a film company was profiting off his, his, um, the characters he created and all that. And I understood that. He kept saying, I don't care, you can make as much money as you want. But he hated that fact. And I said, Vince, you can say whatever you want and no, I'll come back at you and none of it's personal. Now, with that, was he originally supposed to, was there some kind of deal in place where you know he'd give you all that access and he was supposed to get a cut? Or how has that worked out? No, 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 the deal was always, he had no, the only thing that Vince had was a, um, he wanted to be able to see the movie before it came out, but he had no editorial control at all whatsoever. And Vince, when I first approached him about doing the movie, he wanted to fund it himself. And I turned him down. He offered me to triple the budget, at least. And uh, I said, Vince, I can't have a subject matter be the, uh, funder of the documentary, and then it's a puff piece, and I'm not interested in doing that. And he understood. Definitely, definitely makes sense. And now, when I went to Vince, the WWE was in its low point. And in the course of making the movie, they came back. And there were various times, because the film took place over a long time, Right. there were various times when... I, he wanted to drop out the cooperation. And I, I had a contract, and I also reminded him, I said, Vince, I was there when you weren't successful. And all these people are coming to you because you're usually successful now. And you know it goes up and down, up and down. Difference between me and these other people, I'll be there. I'll be a fan no matter how successful or popular your wrestling is. And I think, that, I think Vince knew I had a passion for the business. I had a passion as a fan for the business. And also I understood the business because I knew a lot of people. I got to know a number of people in it. So I knew the inner workings of it. Now, with, you know, Vince, you know, having the contract but kind of wanting to start and stop it and kind of be involved and not being involved, you know, when it came to being actually released, it is true, right? He, he just, he really, you know, just didn't want it to come out because he didn't want too much of himself revealed out there. No, no, no. He, I think it was just a financial thing. He hated the fact that Universal, who uh, funded the movie, was going to make money off characters he created, that he wasn't getting a piece of it. That was strictly it. And all he did to try to... The movie company had planned to, on um, putting a lot of ads during wrestling shows, during uh, WWE Raw and SmackDown and stuff like that, and they refused to have those ads on. Hmm. Now, obviously, you know, he... And I, 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 I have to say, I did not like... I wasn't my idea to promote it. It wasn't beyond my ability to stop it. That This is the movie Vince didn't want, doesn't want you to see, because that's not the way I intended the film to be. 
Right, and they definitely and, know it. And, and, it and Vince called me after, right after he saw the movie, the day after. And he said, uh, look, I don't regret knowing you. I don't regret making you making the movie. It's not the movie I would have made. He says, but I'm not going to tell you it's not a good movie. Hmm. What do you think he wanted to make? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but then I saw the documentary he did on Jake the Snake, and I'm going, oh, my God, this is much more. <laughs> this is just, I don't know what he wanted to make. You know, I you think know, Vince does what he does very, very, very well. No, he's a master at it. He's a genius at it. But, I, you know, doesn't mean he's a filmmaker. He's a wrestling promoter. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, with Vince, obviously, you know, you got the access behind the scenes to the WWF. And there was a really funny thing with uh, Darren Drozdoff, you know, where he was calling him puke. Right, yeah. And, you know, the very famous line where he's got to puke. And, you know, right. what was that whole scene like? Because did did you know Vince was going to, you know, make the guy, you know, puke on command? And did you know Draz's history beforehand? I knew Draz's history beforehand because I was given a, a bunch of wrestlers. I said I wanted to follow a young wrestler that they would thought could make it, was being given this break. And I was given, um, was him, Matt Bloom, who's now a trainer at uh, an NXT. Oh, yeah. And and Edge. Hmm. And I, I remember talking to Edge. He was he was uncomfortable with being in it, you know. And I, if people were uncomfortable, I always tell the wrestlers, if you don't want to be in this, please tell me. I'm not going to put you in it. I only want people who are comfortable in it. And Darren seemed the most comfortable with it. Did I expect Vince to ask him to show up, to throw up? No. Was I surprised? No, because Vince perform. Vince is a performer. <laughs> And I, that's always, where's the Vince, the real Vince, and where's the performer? And those two have mel- meld. And, I, he, he, you know, like most actors and performers, it's a hard time telling the difference. They have a hard time telling the difference. And it's funny. With I think Drog, the, showman because... him, the showman in him made him want to f- teach him to throw up. Right, and it's funny. With Jaws, we saw that play out, that whole gimmick of, you know, the regurgitating on command and, right. you know, to then dial back to what you had filmed that had come out a few months after Draza debuted, and you're like, all right, now you kind of see that they've got, they really did have something in mind for this guy, and that when you can highlight such a personality trait, such as uh, throwing up when told, uh, you can see right. how that can make a lot of money, but then on the other hand, when you say that Edge was one of the guys that was, you know, a possible subject, he really went on to be the biggest, quote, name out I of know. those three. I know. And to think where Which, that could have gone, starting at your front door, basically. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I go, oh, I should have gone with Edge, but he he was he was uncomfortable with cameras following him. So I don't I don't know how good he would have been on camera at that point. You know. And then what do you think about the way they had their training set up from what you saw at that time, 97, 98, 99, versus what they're doing now? And essentially having a weekly beyond the mat in their show, Breaking Ground, where they show you the trials and tribulations of their developmental system on the WWE Network. I like, I like that show. I mean, it's very reality showish for my taste and a little too, you know, life and death and William Shatner and, you know. <laughs> So a little shoving it down my throat, for my taste. I, but I like that show. I like the show, and I think uh, 
Paul or Triple H. I, I, I never called the wrestlers by their wrestling names. I, I shouldn't start now. <laughs> I think Paul's done a <laughs> tremendous job doing creating that NXT. And he's another one, you know, brief cameo in Beyond the Mat, and it's, you know, you could really, you could go through a who's who of if you watch those scenes where you oh, show Oh, yeah, well, I, I, spent, I spent a lot of time with him in, uh, doing the documentary. Right. And he was very cooperative and very friendly and very, very bright and intelligent, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all at his success out of the ring, at all. Uh, it's great to hear because he's really ascended to the <laughs> B spot within WWE under the man himself, Vince. And it's funny who he was subjected with in the, the movie, China, Joni Lauer, uh, where yeah. she's completely gone in the opposite direction, where you highlighted her in such a way as her being this unique character in a world of these giant men. Well, you've got this giant woman who is this physical specimen, and her life is really, unfortunately, Taking a turn for the worse and it's just kind of become a train wreck, you know, uh, on a rail going straight off the side yeah. of a cliff, and that's unfortunate because you're part of the documentary. It's very unfortunate. That- it's very, it's very sad. I spent quite a bit of time with uh, Paul and Joni, and a lot of time time with Joni, and I liked her quite a bit. And so, it's, it's sad to see what's happened. I can't explain it, so I don't know. I, mean, I haven't seen her since the documentary came out, uh, but I wish it's, it. Had- um, it's one of the, the, heart, the weirder first. stories. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. that's unfortunate. And you know, people we've talked to have said the same thing, and we've had her on before, and it was just, you know, it's just very weird. But it kind of paralleled, in a way, Jake the Snake, who I'll get to in a minute. But I want to stick with the, you know, the WWF, WWE guys. And like I said in the intro, right. you really opened up the door to the fourth face of Foley, and that was Mick Foley. We got to know Mick Foley, the person. Right who we would then grow to love on television as the genuine Mick Foley character himself, whatever you want to say, he just came off in the movie as such a lovable man and just with a great family value, Mick's you know, background. Excellent. You know, and, have you kept guy. in contact with Mick? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we see each other once, once or twice a year whenever he comes out to L.A. We get together, and I... Uh, I met his daughter the other day. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hadn't seen since she was little and crying. And well, I was like, I'm sorry I portrayed you that way. <laughs> um, yeah, Mick and I stay in touch. And, you know, Terry Funk, I've, I haven't spoken to Terry in a, couple, in a year or two, but we usually speak every once in a blue moon. Yeah, it's uh, Noelle Foley has really, uh, you know, she's uh, older now, obviously. She's uh, really got a a career blooming for her. She's got a great personality and uh, destined to do some great things. But, yeah, as a four-year-old or a three-year-old, ringside at the Royal Rumble 99, and how can we forget the chair shots and uh, this movie (laughs) star, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, what was it like putting that scene together uh, that night and also, you know, while you were doing the editing? Well, very hard. You know, Mick, I was, we had two cameras, two different camera crews at that time for that shoot. And one was in the arena capturing um, Mick's wife and the kids. And then one was backstage. And I was with the crew backstage. And I talked to my uh, line producer, Deborah Simon. I said, how to go out there? And she goes, it was pretty bad. 
was pretty bad. And I, and I saw Colette walk back with the, uh, you know, and uh, she was very distraught, very distraught. And it was it was hard. It was very hard because the son Mick lost it too. I wish I cut out a movie. It was cutting that was very hard to cut simply because I didn't want to seem like I I wanted to show it, but I didn't seem. There's a point where I'm going. I'm exploiting these kids, and I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting the kids too much. So that was a very tough scene, and you know I have a very dark sense of humor, and usually I can make jokes about anything. Uh, but that was I, I could never watch that stuff without feeling incredibly uncomfortable. It was it was very hard to watch because the match was much more brutal than anybody expected it to be. Including right. the participants. Oh yeah, it's quite powerful. Just even if you isolate the match itself, uh, you know there's stories of uh, maybe Rock went into business for himself and took a few more chair shots than he was supposed to. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like you know Rock and uh, and McFoley seem to have a decent relationship, so you kind of hope that's not the case. But as the match goes on, it just you know it's indicative of 1999 professional wrestling. That would never happen right. in 2016. No. But that was 1999 for you. Did you feel like, you know, the crowd was buzzing? Did you feel like The Rock was feeding off the crowd that night? I think so. I think when you get under, the, you know, in the, in the moment, you might go, you know, you might lose track and you might go, I'll do one more. Um, I know guys, I know what it was like watching it backstage and there weren't, nobody was going, this is great. They were just going, uh-oh, now it's been pushed, the level's been pushed of violence and pushed up more. So if you look at the backstage shots, and I think just there's just one or two, there's concern on their faces. They're not, they're not going, this is great, can you believe that spot? They're like, uh-oh, this could, we have to start doing this to get pops. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's... Really, it's almost like it's... I mean, I, I look how crazy it was. I'm glad I filmed it back then because it was always, you know, cinematically, it's more powerful that way. But right. um, I look back how violent it was, and in um, especially the ECW stuff. And you're going, this is crazy. Yeah, and again, it's, you know, 1997, 1998, 1999, professional wrestling yeah. versus... 2016 sports entertainment where if you were to look for that ECW today, you know, you're going to get a more uh, chain wrestling based or a more, uh, you know, driven for the work aspect of it. Then the blood, guts, violence, ladders, chairs, you know, the uh, just uh, ridiculously uh, obscene chair shots to the head, which have virtually gone away. Uh, You'll still see them. I can't say you won't, but uh, ECW, it's another part of the film that is just, when you look back, it's such this piece of history right at our fingertips as oh. you're with ECW and the journey to their first ever pay-per-view. Right, right. I had met Terry Funk in Las, I'd met Terry Funk in a uh, show in Las Vegas, a local show he was doing. And I met him years ago, early in my career when I was starting out. And, uh, he said, you got to go to ECW. You're going to love this place. And I'd heard of ECW, you know, in the, in the, the rags. But, I you know, I didn't see it because I was being out in Los Angeles. And I went to a match at Philadelphia, and I went, oh, God, this is going to be great for the movie. 
I knew I knew it was so colorful and so violent. And so it was like being in the middle of a Rocky Horror Picture Show screening. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, weapons yeah. being brought in. Uh, the cast of Misfits, uh, which were they were they would call themselves that they were the Misfit toys that nobody wanted. But there's a scene in the movie that has really gone on to define ECW, and that's Paul Heyman's speech on the country. steps at the ECW arena. Take us back to that night and what you could oh. see off the wrestlers' faces. It was amazing. He's a mesmerizer. I've seen him give a speech once before at a at a at a house show. I'm going, this is incredible. I've got to capture one of these. And that night he gave a speech. His speech is in the movies maybe 40 seconds. But it went on for about three, four minutes. And uh, that's why I said you could rule small countries with his oratory <laughs> skills. <laughs> you know? But it was, it was, you know, I just kept on, please, please don't have my film run out. Because that, that part was shot on film, not video. And it was also was shot like, much earlier than the Royal Rumble, about two years prior. Yeah, about two years prior. So one of the first things we shot was ECW. Cause, you know, and at that point, ECW out. was a cult favorite with the guys who would go on to define a generation of hardcore and be reborn about five or six times. And did you think that ECW had that long-standing power that it just keeps coming back every couple of years? Yes. Yes. I, I, I thought when I was there, I thought, this is the future. This is cutting edge. This is so much more in sensibility of where society's at. You know? And it was at a time when the WW, that time the WWF was doing, you know, Doink the Clown and, you know, those kind of characters. More cartoony stuff. Right. So, this seemed a lot more real. Oh yeah, and I remember, I remember now. being with Vince and going, "We're never going to do stuff like that. We're never going to do stuff like that." And by the time I started filming there, they go, "What happened to? They're never going to do stuff like that." <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable, and everybody uh, ended up kind of taking that ECW style. But you know, let's kind of talk about the filmmaking part of it if we can. And like you know, like sure. I said, it's done over a few you know year period. When you set yeah. out to make it, is that what you had in mind, was to cover it from different aspects and maybe have to take a couple years till you got the story right? Yes. Well, I spent, I, I spent about three years making the movie, filming the movie. And part of that is because I traveled around a lot with guys because I, I was wanting them to feel comfortable with me being around them and, and getting them to be natural and not turn it on for the cameras. And also, in a weird way, I was casting the movie. I'm going, who should I follow that's interesting? Who would be interesting? And who, you know, all right. Originally, the idea was just to follow young wrestlers trying to make it. But the problem is, is that young wrestlers don't have the stories and the experience that the older guys have. And the one guy I was going to follow who hadn't made it yet made it in the course of making the movie before I got my full funding, who was... Um, Matt, um, Matt um, Heisen, who became Spike Dudley. Right. So, yeah. But I always planned it also to, to gather around the reaction of their families to doing it, because that fascinated me about what was it like coming home after being on the road pretending to be something and how you could adjust 
to normalcy, and it was a normalcy. And how could you forget Matt Heisen, a.k.a. Spike Dudley's most prolific part of the film where you know, you're discussing <laughs> what he was doing prior to becoming a professional wrestler where he's talking about being a Shakespeare major while blood is trickling down his face, into his eyes, down his nose, and as you're, as a filmmaker, as somebody you know who did primarily comedy, and you know, really, this being so much different than what you had worked on prior, did you ask yourself, right. you know, what am I getting myself into as I'm talking Shakespeare with a guy with blood trickling down his face? No, oh, when that was happening, I was actually having a hard time not laughing because I'm going. <laughs> I I said, Matt, this is. A, I remember when we cut the cameras. I said, Matt, this is like out of Monty Python. <laughs> no, uh, no, I didn't. End with, this is what I really wanted to do. You know, I'm I'm proud of. I have certain feelings about stuff I've done in the past and all that. But when people ask me what am I proud of, stuff, it's, it's always beyond the mat, by far. Got to be. It's got to be up there because I mean, like I said, it really it changed the way wrestling is viewed, and it and really inspired a generation of. Uh, documentarians uh, who want to cover wrestling specifically. It might have even yeah. remotely inspired two yahoos that have a podcast that interview wrestling personalities <laughs> every so often. Uh, but as I say, it's kind of funny. I told John, uh, I had to mention this before we went on the air, Beyond the Mat was the first ever DVD that I owned before I even had a DVD player. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but... Like when I was little, I bought my father a pipe rack for Father's Day because I saw it on Leave It to Beaver, not knowing that my dad didn't smoke pipes or anything. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it's quite, it made quite the impression, you know, but not to also mention that some of the films that you've made as well and contributed to in writing uh, have also made quite a, uh, a pop culture uh, impact as well. And, I mean, there's so many on there that you look at. I mean, Coming to America... Uh, the Nutty Professor. I mean, I know there's a lot of Eddie Murphy in there, and Boomerang, which is another oh, one I sure. own, Laser Disc, which I'll definitely throw out there. But just you know, talk about working with the actors and writing a movie versus then working with wrestlers, who in their own way are actors, you know, and putting in their own way they're actors too. Well, when you're writing a film, and when I'm writing a film for Eddie Murphy, because I, I know Eddie since Saturday Night Live, I do work with him, so we interact and all that stuff. But otherwise, when you're writing other movies, you don't act interact that much with the actors when you direct you do um when I, way i approached wrestle, the wrestlers were this i said uh this is everything about wrestling is either is it fake or is it real is it fake or is it real or it's condescending um you know what comes up must go down oh these treat you as clowns and i will treat the business and what you do with respect, because I really like it. I respect what you guys do. And so that was, I think I, and that's why I hung out with them a lot, because I wanted them to see that I really was, had a, I had a respect for what they did, a tremendous amount of respect. And I do have a tremendous amount of respect for what they do. I love it when I watch a, a movie. Uh and there's a wrestler in it playing a non-wrestling role, and someone will go, me, that guy's good. I go, yeah, it's a wrestler. I was watching, uh, I, I'm now divorced, but I was watching my girlfriend, uh, 
Spring Breakers the other day, which is a great movie. Oh boy, great movie. <laughs> right? Yeah. And there's a small part of a of a, a preacher or a, not a preacher, a guy who runs a religious seminar. And it's Jeff Jarrett. And she goes, "Who's that guy? That guy's good." I'm going, "He's a wrestler." <laughs> so, <laughs> whenever anybody does real well, and it is, I always I always root for the wrestlers to do well. Spring Breakers uh, could be a podcast onto its own, but uh, we'll save that Great for uh, the two-man power trip of movies uh, yeah. for another day. But, you know, it's it's interesting, to say the least. My wife and I just watched it quite recently as well, probably the same night. But uh, it was uh, it's interesting. But I'll, I want to just move on because there's something else that's kind of sure. funny to tie in. Yeah, obviously, you're right around Saturday Night Live, uh, which, you know, right. in the pantheon of television, Saturday Night Live is in a class. By itself, but, you know, when tying in Beyond the Mat, The Rock has hosted Saturday Night Live countless times. Yes. And seeing the personality really came to the forefront when he hosted the first time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was really weird. That was the same weekend that Beyond the Mat opened. Oh, wow. And I begged, I begged the studio, let's take an ad on Saturday Night Live. Even a 15-second ad. The Rock's hosting, it's going to be the perfect melding of our audience, right? And they said, no one's going to watch The Rock on Saturday Night Live and so on and so on. So I think they didn't want to spend the money. And then the ratings were through the roof. Right? It was like the highest SNL in a couple of years. He was great on that show. But again, as a wrestling fan, as wrestling fans, were you surprised he was great on that show? Didn't you know he was going to be great? No, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> But of also course. then to throw they, in they don't Foley, the guys are performers. They're great performers. And that doesn't mean they go, you know, some overact and all that stuff. And, and some of that's the style. I mean, what Vince does, he, he overacts, but that's the style that he's performing. That's his performer is an overactor, um, is a, of a hammy owner. But he pulls it off perfectly. No one can play Vince better than Vince plays Vince when he's on the show. His daughter's wonderful. His son was wonderful. Very, very true. I know we were talking about SNL, and we were talking about Vince, we were talking about The Rock on there, but I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about a huge part of the documentary, and that was Jake the Snake Roberts and you know, his life and, and his journey and everything else. Now you see him today with DDP, and he looks like a completely different guy. I mean, he looks uh, 20 years younger than he did 20 oh, years ago, good. which is crazy to say. And that's what good because when I was around him, he, he wasn't doing that well. Yeah, what did you think about that? Was that almost like a shell shock? His his life, how crazy it is, how he got the drugs and you know his father and everything else. Oh yeah, he kept hearing stuff and hearing stuff, and he would tell me stories, and I'd see stuff, and you know, after a while, I remember once we were driving in Texas. And he turned to me and he said, over there I had a cousin who died, was electrocuted in a swimming pool accident, right? And it was after five days of hearing the stories, these tragedies, tragedies, tragedies. And I actually started laughing. And I go, he says, what? I go, my mom grew up in the Holocaust and has more better life stories and has more cheerful life stories than you do. (laughs) I go, it was so much, it was so depressing after a while. And Jake was fascinating to be around. And it was probably six, I think it was six days, five, six days, most memorable days of my life. And when we were, that night when he was on 
on on crack, and I was interviewing them. Uh, which actually, if you had the whole interview and me, yeah, my side of the interview would have been very interesting to hear. Um, was fascinating. I remember him. Le- uh, we went to left his room about three in the morning. I turned to my camera and I said, "If we're in focus, we have a movie." Because I just knew it was it was really powerful. And the Jake stuff was also done fairly early in the beginning of the movie, in the shooting. The stuff, the last stuff we did was uh, Mick Foley's. That was the last day of shooting. And Jake played such a key role in it because it was so emotional. And you, you get that other side of the wrestling business that a lot of fans don't even know exists, you know, as far as the drug use and everything else. But we learned so right. much about uh, Jake and his broken family as well. That was also a very touching and emotional uh, very, you know, you know meeting his daughter, meeting his daughter. Uh, she was so open and uh, I think brave talking about her life. And she knows her father really, really well. I'm glad he's doing better. I know he's. I know he said nonstop shit about me, but I'm happy he's doing better. What did he say about you in particular? He didn't like the way you covered. Well, him. he claimed I lied to him. I said I was doing this for Christian charities and it was it was going to be an anti-drug film, which actually it is an anti-drug film in a weird way if you look at Jake's behavior, and he hmm. just bad-mouthed it and all that stuff and claimed I misled him, which. I didn't mislead him. I mean, he's delusional. Is there any other backlash besides Jake and besides Vince saying, you know, that he wanted a piece of it? Was there any other backlash, you know, negative-wise towards, you know, this amazing film? No. No. I mean, wrestlers wrestlers told me, uh, every wrestler I ever spoke to since then really loves it. And it was very important to me that they like it. Oh, that's really um, amazing. Dallas Page telling me a funny story. He says, we were shooting Ready to Rumble. Or, what was that the name of the movie? Is that Ready to Rumble? Yeah. That yep. they did. And he says, you know, we were just starting to shoot it, and your movie opened for Academy Award consideration. And uh, we all went to the theater, so we walked down and saying, we're fucked. <laughs> 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 Our movie's going to suck in comparison. <laughs> well... So, no, I haven't gotten any negative. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, well, thank you. And obviously, uh, Ready to Rumble was not so great, I, I guess you could say. Not as good. You know, again, I, a fictional version of wrestling is not that interesting to me as the real thing. Although I did like The Wrestler. So. And The, the Wrestler, definitely, you know, a good movie. It was definitely uh, well done, but you know, they say that a lot of the wrestlers, you know, so the rumor is a lot of the wrestler is taken from Jake the Snake. They say they say it's various wrestlers, but they're saying a lot of it was Jake the Snake. There's a lot of Jake the Snake in there. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's some similarities. You know, I didn't I didn't I I thought the wrestler was very well done. I thought it was very well done. I, I wish the director, you know, when he said it, he did not know of my film when they were doing it. I'm going. I wish. He was a little more honest because his his office called me up four times asking for Jake's phone number. So I don't think he didn't know of the film. Right, right. Uh, that being said, I still think it's an excellent film. And there's, you know, there you're going to do a story about a wrestler. There's going to be a down and out person naturally, and all that stuff. 
Well, it definitely seemed like, you know, not only did he, you know, was aware of uh, Beyond the Map, but he definitely, you know, took some elements of it and definitely took some elements right. as far as Jake Snake Roberts. And that's without a yeah. doubt. But yeah. another, another guy who we touched on a little bit was Terry Funk, and obviously he was a, a part of the movie. Did you want to make him almost an even bigger uh, part of the movie, or was that not really, uh, you know, in the card? Well, it was, it was always going to be... Uh kind of a third, a third, a third with all these other little people filling, you know, the Chinas and the other people, Darren Dross was filling in little parts. But he was retiring. Ha ha. (laughs) 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 It went from, I'm retiring, this is going to be my last match to, when we were shooting, he was going, this is going to be my last match in Amarillo. So... (laughs) You know, I I never took the retirement thing as this is really going to happen. Though I think it has, I think he is really retired now. I don't know if he wrestles anymore. I know he shows up and does officiating and refereeing and run-ins and stuff like that. Yeah, I think he's um, pretty much retired now. I mean, I guess you could say, I mean, obviously he's at that age where physically, I don't know know, how much he can go anymore. But, um, you know, it kind of created a whole other thing with not only Terry Funk, but with uh, Dennis Stamp, and it's everywhere, you know, I'm not booked. I'm not booked. And that- yeah, that was interesting. That was real interesting because I, I asked Terry, did he know any wrestlers, guys that never made it, that were, that lived around Amarillo, the guys who tried hard but never really made the big time. And he introduced me to Dennis Stamp who was, uh, you know, quite as you see him in the movie. And he kept on saying, uh, you know, Terry, he kept bad-mouthing Terry to me. He would be, <laughs> I appreciate him, but oh, I should have been this, and I should have done this, and I should have done this. And I'd say, Dennis, i say, I remember once I had to cancel a shoot with him because I said I have to do something with Terry. Oh, of course you do with Terry over me, or Terry over me, and I go, why would you, you know, if it wasn't for Terry, you wouldn't be in this movie. I would not have heard of you. And that whole scene where Terry asks him to referee and he turns him down, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. He's, a, he's an original dentist. Oh, my God, yeah. And that, that line has taken, you know, taken a whole uh, another uh, you know, turn of of what it wasn't even supposed to be, but I'm not booked. And you hear that on the internet everywhere, and it's kind of been... Oh, really? I'm not aware of that. Oh, yeah, it became a huge, like, um, I guess almost like a viral kind of thing where I'm not booked, and there was memes about it, and then, you know, there's some sort of, I don't know if it was a podcast or something, I'm not booked, T-shirts and uh, funny videos on YouTube. So that became almost bigger than Dennis Stant ever was in his career. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I remember I was talking with Jesse Ventura. I went to film up was an inauguration. And Je- Jesse was one of these guys I knew way before I did the documentary to a friend. And I was asking, he's saying, so who you got in the movie? And I was saying this, this, and he goes, and I go, Dennis Stamp. And he goes, Dennis Stamp? <laughs> what the hell is Dennis Stamp doing in a documentary? <laughs> Which is great because uh, I mentioned to John, and he wasn't even aware of it. As a little kid and you're watching WrestleMania, uh, Jesse the Body Ventura would always throw out a couple shout-outs. And there was a couple of occasions where you'd hear 
I'd like to say hello to my good friend Barry Blaustein watching at home. Right. He's like, who's Barry Blaustein? Why yeah. do I know him? And then when Beyond the Mac, he goes, that's Barry Blaustein. <laughs> Except he would always say, he's picked this SD Jones match as the best night of the best match of the night. And I'm going, it makes me look bad. Give me a better wrestler to uh, <laughs> pick as the best match of the night. <laughs> I get a cook out of it. I always get a kick out of that. <laughs> so, what's your relationship like with uh, Jesse? Because he's he was on our show, which was an honor for us. He was one of our favorite guests. What's your relationship like with Jesse? I I haven't seen him in a couple of years. I saw him for his last big birthday. Um, I met him because a friend of mine was a uh, very was his manager, his agent. Uh, who's Barry was one of the producers beyond the Mac because he got me. In, in, inside with a lot of the wrestlers, and I had met Jesse socially and his wife a couple of times in L.A. So before the documentary began, I had already known him, and he filled me in with a lot of stuff about the business, what it was like. And so I was, oh, you know, I, if he's in town once again, I, I I see him, I stay in contact with his son. So I like Jesse. Is he kind of the only guy you really, as far as from the movie Beyond the Mask is concerned, is that the, the only guy you really kind of keep up with nowadays and or actually talk to, or do you talk to any other guy? No, I talk to Mick. I talk to Mick. Uh, you know, just I speak to you know, once every couple of years. But Mick I speak to a few times a year, or see, you know, once, once or twice a year. And, and Terry I speak to. And uh, I'm Facebook friends with New Jack. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting when when we talked um, earlier. And, and you know, I speak to occasionally. I've spoken to occasionally with the the young guys that were trying to make it out of San Francisco, Mike Modest and um, Oh yeah, and Tony Jones. That was a you know cool part of it as well. But you know, we were talking. Um, you know, before we did the interview, we were talking on the phone, and you kind of were, you know, flipping the script a little bit. And you asked me, you know, some of our favorite guests and some of our right. least favorite guests, and uh, you know, the favorite one, the first one that came out first and foremost was Dusty. And I kind of shared a little bit of, of our Dusty story with you, but you had an unbelievable Dusty story for me that was almost, uh, you know, too good to be true. But oh. you just tell, you just uh, retell that awesome Dusty story you told me because that was yeah. It was what, what happened was I was turning forty years old. My wife threw me a surprise birthday party, and uh, I was out of town. Friends took me out of town. I came back. I was expecting something, but I wasn't expecting like 40, 50 people there. And it's 40, 50 people, and I hear a voice in the backyard, and it was uh, Barrett Balthine, come on out. This is your life. And my wife had gone through my friend Barry, uh, Dusty Rhodes, to come speak and host This Is Your Life. And it was like, oh, my God, Dusty Rhodes. I had never met Dusty Rhodes before, and Dusty was telling stories about me. He got there a few hours early and talked to my wife and kids, my ex-wife and kids about my life. And he would be talking. Now I remember the time Barry called me up. We were traveling a little, and he wanted to know this about this. And I'm, he was so good, I was believing him that I actually knew. <laughs> and actually, that was the night I had been talking for years 
of doing a documentary on wrestling. And no one knew I really was a wrestling fan because I kept it quiet. And I was like pushed out of the fan closet. And I said, well, I might as well make the movie now. So that was the inspiration for the movie. The inspiration for me getting off my ass to make the movie. <laughs> and you can't go wrong with a picture-perfect Dusty Rhodes impression uh, as you just did, which I'm sure you practice that as well, because we all have our own Dusty uh, impersonation. Oh, it's, it's fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, we just, yeah, exactly. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, John always likes to say, uh, oh, Johnny, you, you okay, kid? You okay, kid? So it's a, it's always great to hear a Dusty story. But, you know, you mentioned Tony Jones and Mike Modest, and uh, now, yeah. unfortunately, the late, great Roland Alexander passed away a few years back, right. uh, when you brought them on, and of course, you know, you wanted to highlight an up-and-coming talent, did you help initiate that tryout dark match for yes. Mike Modest and Tony yes. Jones? Yes. Uh, part of what I agreed with Vince was I said, I'm going to bring two guys and I want you to, be give, to give them a tryout. And I said, they won't be embarrassing. I promise you they won't be embarrassing. They'll be of quality. And he trusted me. And they did that. And I said, just watching, you know, what your real, just tell me what the real reactions are. You can like them, not like them, I don't care. So, yes, that happened. That happened. And that is, again, a part of that unprecedented access where we get to see Jim Cornette and Jim Ross and then a brief cameo by Vince himself actually giving critique on a, on two dark matches for, or is it two or one on, I think it was the one. It was actually. one. It was, they were against right. each other. Right, they were against each other, and you see their critique and what it is they'd fix and, you know, what it is they should work on and this and that. You see Roland kind of in the background, and we'll get to Roland in a second, but did you feel like they were giving their honest opinion of these guys as talents or, totally. once again, with those cameras there? Totally. You know, I said, you just have to be honest. I don't care whether you like them or don't like them. Just be honest how you felt. And then uh, I asked them after, later, much later, how... How'd you re- I go, how'd you really feel? And he goes, no, exactly what we said. Now, with Roland specifically, did you kind of see something in him, or was that just, you know, just kind of lucky for him to, you know, make it to the movie? Well, I went to a lot of wrestling schools. Not a lot. Uh, I say a lot. Maybe ten, which... And I noticed the quality of work in his place was much higher than others. And also, Roland was a character. You know, Roland was very um, full of himself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know what's wrong with wrestling. I can fix wrestling. I, you know, I'm not the one who told him to wear tight T-shirts and, you know, tell people they're out of shape. <laughs> you know? And I know there was a lot of, there was a lot of, Carney and um, in uh, in Roland. And yes, I knew he made sure. the subject. I know, yeah. I think Roland was a little upset with the documentary until, but it helped the school a lot. So, did it? You know, did he think it made him look bad or made him look like a shite? I looked fat. Like that? Oh, that's I made him look fat. And there's one shot where he's on the shot fob where he does look fat. I mean, he was fat. I didn't tell him. I said, I didn't tell you to wear a tight T-shirt. I didn't tell you this. this. I said, your school looks exactly what it is. And 
I think oh, I think his initial thing was to be angry, and then he realized it was good for him in his school. So. Yeah, and Mike Mott made made a little career for himself. I mean, he got signed by WCW. Obviously, WCW ended up being acquired by the WWF at one point, but you know, he had a good right. run in uh, a local. Yeah, he's promoting wrestling shows in Las Vegas. Yep, yep, and he uh, has time in the Ring of Honor. I mean, so he definitely had a uh, you know a pretty good run. Right. Right. Tony he Jones. Gave a, a nice run. Whatever. Tony, to Tony I, Jones. I still wrestles a little, but I I think you know he had his. He's he's marrying his family, and I think that took priority in supporting them. Oh, okay. But he told me something once. He said, you know, I'm so grateful for the film because when I tell people I was tried to be a professional wrestler, they go, get out of here. And this was proof that I was in wrestling. (laughs) Now, with with Beyond the Mat, what was your favorite, like, part of the film? Like, who was your favorite subject matter on that documentary? Well, I found Paul fascinating, Paul Heyman fascinating. But I could have called the documentary waiting for Paul Heyman to show up. Uh, you know, because he's very hard to tie down and he's very elusive. You know, the times I spent with Paul, I really liked Paul. Uh, I, I got very close with Mick, and I'm still very close with Mick. Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed. There wasn't a part of doing the movie that I didn't uh, that I didn't love doing. There wasn't a day we were shooting where I went, "What am I doing?" There, there are days where you shoot where you go, you know, you you don't know what's going to work out great. So there are people you follow and they don't turn out as wonderful as you hoped they could, but it's still worth. You, you get a little something, or you know, that's that's part of the, that's part of the business shooting a doc. Then everything's going to work out as you hoped it would work out. But you know, I just the, the little things I remember that are not in the movie. That uh, off of the wild Samoan singing a song to his wife, a love song to his wife, which was cute, and trying to, when we were in that sh- with that sh- uh, wrestling show in Nebraska, where they uh, a woman wrestler dropped out and they had to find a local girl to wrestle. I found the girl works on a bank teller. That was really interesting. Unfortunately, it was in the movie, but it, it didn't move the story forward. I had to cut it out for length. Yes, that that was uh, pretty and, cool. And, and I really liked hanging out with those guys. I, I, you know, it was very, um, you know, like I said, I spoke to all of them, and I said, if you don't want to be in the movie, I will not film you. I will not if you're on camera. I won't show you. Blah blah blah. Unless you walk onto camera, and unless you obviously. I will try to avoid putting you on camera shots and things like that. And in the, the WWF, then WWE, there's always a locker room that I was always very welcome in, and another locker room where it was like I didn't, they didn't want to be in the movie, so I would stay out of that locker room. Hmm. But most, but most of the guys were f- super friendly and super helpful, and you know, and the ones that didn't want to be in weren't. Uh, weren't mean or anything. They just didn't want to be in it. So I understand that. You know, the Undertaker was interesting because he, he explained to me. You know, he he'd made a lot of money being this silent guy because at that time he hadn't spoken. The strong silent guy. He goes, I don't want to show people I'm not always that way. 
But he was very, whenever cameras were, he goes, I'm going to be standing here. Well, do you want me to move or anything like that? He was incredibly nice to me. I know that, that is great. Yeah, that, that's great that uh, he was in there. And a guy that wasn't in, in it so much, but, you know, was obviously a huge part of the Terry Funk retirement because uh, he wrestled Terry in the main event, obviously, his last match in, you know, quote-unquote Amarillo. But right. did, you have, did you spend a lot of time with Bret Hart at all? Or yeah, so I did. Concerned? Okay. I did spend time with Bret before cameras, not with cameras, but when I first went on the road without cameras at WC, oh, WWE, um, uh, Brett was a champ, right? And I we spent a lot of time talking. And um, I remember he came up to my house one day and watched a, we watched a pay per view together. And but by the time cameras came, he had gotten the, the, the screw job in Montreal had happened. And so by the time I really started filming, he wasn't there anymore. But he was he was great to talk to. I remember. He told me the thing he was most proud of. He said, anybody can do this and hurt somebody. He says, I've never hurt anybody in the ring. He says, that's the art of it. And I spent time, a lot of time with a lot of that time with Owen, too. He was a really nice guy, too. Most of them are really nice. The only Absolutely. And uh, only if you, Steve Austin wasn't wasn't that cool to me, but it was okay. He does have a reputation of being a little bit of a surly guy. Very surly, and afterwards I, I was like, "Can you just tell him to stop? I'm not filming. I'm not doing anything." Sean was great. Uh, so now. You know, and that, it's I, funny to see now. Now I see them, and now you know very few of the guys are wrestling anymore. You know th- that I was friendly with, that I knew. Yeah, hardly anybody. Undertaker, basically, and uh, he seems to be uh, well, winding it down a bit. Big Show, and the Dud- and the Dudley Boys. Oh yeah, Dudleys are back. Yes, you're right. Good call. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with uh, Bubba. Daryl, as I called him. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I, I start to uh, wind it down a little bit here, you know, there was a bunch of guys, you know, had, had small little roles in the film. And, uh, you know, buddy of the show, just incredible. He was, you know, in it for about, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds or so. But he actually just retired, too. So, you know, as I think about it, there's another guy, uh, you know, no longer wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I spent time with him. He was a, I wish I'd come up with someone to say more than just, he's a nice guy. He was a nice guy. He was very friendly, very <laughs> outgoing, you know. I, you know, I remember talking. I spent a fair amount of time with The Rock. He would always ask me about the movie business. Ah. I wanted to know more about the movie business. So when he became went in the movie business, I was not surprised at all. Look at that! You you knew uh, he always had aspirations of becoming a big time movie star, and uh, now he's yeah. the number one Hollywood yeah. draw. Yeah, now he's the number one world draw, draw in the world. Good for him. <laughs> hey, you got to start right there with you. <laughs> well, I was just there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, you know, you said before you were you're always a fan, somewhat of a closeted fan until, uh, you know, Dusty Rose yeah. kind of uh, broke you out of that closet. But, you know, do you have a favorite match or maybe, you know, a couple of favorite matches or favorite angle that you had looking back, at, at, you know, your time I, as well, a wrestling fan? The answer I usually give is I was at, I think it was WrestleMania 10. And there was a ladder match. I think it was the first ladder match between Sean and Razor. Ramon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it was spectacular. You know, so I always say a great match is when you don't know who you you don't you forget who wins. Both guys win. I thought that was an incredible match. Very very true. Every once in a while, you see a match you go when um, on the NXT special when Becky fought uh, Sasha Banks. Yes. And. You know, I wasn't following it that closely because I was so I wasn't that hooked into the story as much. I knew of the story, but I wasn't hooked into that much. But I'm watching that match. I'm going, this is incredible. Look at them work. So every once in a while, I can still see a match and feel like I'm not when I was eight or ten watching it, but I, I can really appreciate when the, the artistry of it. I go, boy, they're really, 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 really good. You know, I can watch. I can watch John Cena work. I know he's often criticized by fans, but there are times he's really good. Really appreciate um, his ability to work in a ring. Seth Rollins, a lot of the guys. I never, I, uh, all those years I was watching on the road and house shows, I never, I never saw Shawn Michaels do a bad match. Sebastian Booger, by far the best wrestler ever. <laughs> <laughs> he was a character. You know, you said uh, yeah. WrestleMania 10, um, you know, you were there. I was there as well as, as a young kid. And, ah. but my uh, my favorite match, I actually just recently watched it because it was on the, uh, the new Owen Hart TV that came out. Brett versus Owen to start the show off. Amazing. Uh, oh, yeah, that was an amazing favorite. match. That was a really good match. That was an excellent match. And uh, Owen won. Yes. Very memorable. Yeah. And you just see, um, you know, it was, it was very interesting. I, I now, um, I work and help put together this TV show in Russia. It was just very hugely successful. And the, the Russians came to visit me, and they knew and they knew of wrestling because I think the WWE goes there once every two years or three years. And I hadn't been to a <coughs> WWE show since the documentary because I used to go backstage, and maybe I'm, I got spoiled. I'm going. I'm not going backstage. I don't want to go, and I think it's still uncomfortable for me. To, I, I'd love to see the guys, but now there's very few guys I know there. And I took them. So I took all these. Russian writers to see uh, a taping of Raw at Staples Center, and it was, and you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun seeing their reaction. It was like because Hulk Hogan came out and Snoop Dogg came out, and it was a real. <laughs> there's no good. It was right before WrestleMania, so the matches weren't great, but you know, the showbiz aspects of it were wonderful. So I still. It still captures me. I still, it's the number one thing on my TiVo. So, 
sad. Do <laughs> you think you're going to have any other, you know, wrestling-related projects in the future? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I avoided doing them afterwards, and I, I kind of regret that I did. So maybe one day, you know, I'll 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 always it'll always be somewhat part of me wrestling. Uh, I just think it's, you know, despite its faults, I still think it's great. And I think, and I think the product has its ups and downs, but overall, I think it's in great shape. I see this past two, three years, all the new people they've introduced. It's going in, to me in the right directions. Absolutely. Now, if I could ask, what are you doing over there in the motherland of uh, Russia? I was uh, I was a consultant on and helped put together a TV show, which is now the number one TV show in the history of Russia. What is it? What's the show? It's called uh, Fizz Rook. It's about a um, it's about a gym teacher, and we we just won the Russian version of the Emmy as best show, and the writing staff won best writing staff, and I was the first American to ever receive that award. So I, I have to fly to Moscow to get my accolades right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw a professional wrestling show there. Oh, boy. Last time I was How there. was that? Was it any difference? It was, like a, it was like a local wrestling show. No. It was like they were emulating it. You know, it was... You know, it was basically on a truck in a, you know, in the middle of a fairground and things like that. But it was heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by the WWF and WWE, whatever. You know, hey. so that was interesting to see. They went back to the well. They uh, they pulled out the Russia card. It always is a great uh, heat seeker when they uh, they really exploited uh, Rusev and Lana and their love for. Uh, Vladimir Putin. Oh, you know what? When the Russians came to visit me in L.A., I took them that, and the Russo was on the show. <laughs> I explained the oh, whole boy. thing. <laughs> and I'm saying, you know, no one thinks this is real. This is a people playing. And, you know, they, they got it. You know. Yeah, I feel like great. over in Russia, wrestling is Especially when Lana, you know, says, you want to see the perfect Russian body, and, they, you know, they show Putin. It was always a big laugh for them. <laughs> you know, it, um, it's funny too because wrestling isn't very big over in Russia, but it feels like uh, you know the the stepchild, if you will, of wrestling. MMA is is huge over in Russia, and there's so many huge Russian there. fighters. It's huge there, yeah. Wrestling, wrestling's they all know of it. They all know of it. There's not that much of it, but like I said, I know the WWE goes there once on their European tour every other year. And I think they do very well in Moscow. People around the world love that crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I say that with affection. <laughs> now, of course, it's been great to look back on Beyond the Mad, and we really appreciate you uh, just dialing it back. I can't believe it's been nearly 20 years, uh, you know, that oh, this man. really all began. 2016, here we are, nearly 20 years. But, you know, i got to say, if you think about what you've done in your career, you know, we usually ask, you know, where do you see yourself, or if you close the book, what's your legacy. But if you could combine the worlds 
of comedy writing, screenwriting, professional wrestling, and you could make the ideal wrestling-related comedy movie. Who would be your star? And give me a quick, give me a quick plot. I wouldn't and nobody's do it. stealing this idea. I wouldn't property do of it. us. Wrestling is <laughs> wrestling is its own little thing and should remain its own thing. And there should never be a fictional comedy film about wrestling. Because I, you know, the guys who did Ready to Rumble spoke to me before it made, and I go, they they were making it the studio, and they said, "What do you think? We think it's going to be great." I go, "I don't know, guys. It's just if brands don't feel like they pander to want to make fun of wrestling. And I think this talks down to fans. I I I have no desire to make a comedy about wrestling. You know, maybe backstage." something that can be done, but I'd be more interested in doing a drama about wrestling. I think wrestling should remain wrestling, and movies remain movies, and uh, I think once you put a wrestling background in a story, unless and, and make the movie about wrestling, it doesn't play, you'll never capture what's great about wrestling. Very, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very, happy very with my well contribution. Said. And, and I I'm want very to ask happy you, with my contribution to wrestling. And what would you say your uh, the legacy of Beyond the Mat would be to professional wrestling? Well, that's not for me to say. Uh, if you listen to WWE, it's never existed. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I find that funny. Um, I don't know. I think it gave people, and you know, it showed these guys. Hopefully, it gave people more respect for wrestling and wrestlers. That I hope is the legacy of it. And to see these people as human beings and as artists, and it's not a, that it's what they're doing is not a joke. Doesn't mean That's you can't right. have fun with it. Can't you can't have a sense of humor about it. And also to make wrestling fans feel good about themselves. Because wrestling fans take a tremendous amount of abuse from non-wrestling fans. And I think, I, I, I like to, I hope that Beyond the Mat had opened some people's minds to wrestling. Definitely. And very, very well said. And if they didn't, they can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dialing it right back to uh, the Attitude Era. Awesome. Great way to end the very... <laughs> Before we let you go, tell the, the listeners and the fans of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling where they can find your latest work, and uh, if they, uh, they they dare say well, if there's anything you have out there right now, tell us all about it. Well, right now I'm actually a professor. I, oh. I'm sort of I'm retired. I've become a professor of screenwriting at Chapman University in Orange. I'm a full tenured professor. I started doing that about three four years ago, and I really enjoy it. So that's what I'm doing most of, with most of my life when I'm not going to Russia to produce shows on the other side of the world. Um, so that, that is basically it. You know, I'm working on the projects, but I generally don't like to talk about it because then people go, what happened? What happened to that project? <laughs> well, most of them don't work out. So I don't know what I'll be doing. I barely know what I'm doing next week. So what I'm going to be doing for <laughs> Two years down the line, I don't know. Hopefully something, hopefully something I really enjoy. I'd love. I did one other documentary. I'd love to do another documentary again. Except, you know, the only problem is they're so hard to find funding. 
I've had two documentaries in the past three years trying to get funding, and I just couldn't get funding. So. Well, you've done an amazing job with the documentary that really, like I said, from the start, and we'll just keep bit, beating everybody over the head with it, changed the way professional wrestling is viewed, and it's been quite an honor to chat with you about it tonight, right, and thanks, thank you so thanks, much. Guys. I wish, I wish where, where, where are you guys going to be in two or three years? What would you like to do? God only knows. <laughs>